Hello, and welcome to the Groovy Writer Podcast, where we explore how to find your writing groove, regardless of your circumstances. I'm your host, author and MFA instructor, Nicole McGinnis. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. It's great to have you here. So in episode four, I talked about how experiencing rejection as a writer can feel a whole lot like falling off of a horse, sometimes getting bucked off of a horse. In the horse world, we used to call that making an unscheduled dismount. At the end of that episode, I mentioned some questions that might be helpful to ask anytime we find ourselves struggling with rejection, and especially when we find ourselves taking it personally to the point that it threatens to cause us to stop writing altogether. And of course, that's a bad thing, because not writing is completely antithetical to finding one's writing groove, and finding one's writing groove, regardless of one's circumstances, is what the Groovy Writer Podcast is all about. So in this episode, we're going to address the first question that I asked at the end of that episode, episode four. And the question is this, am I equating my writing with my own self-worth? I did address it to a certain extent in that episode, but I want to start talking about what we can do as writers to answer that question questions like that. And then in a practical way, we can hopefully get back to a healthier, more balanced and more productive perspective that in turn helps us to get back on that horse, to get back into our writing groove, to keep writing, to keep pushing forward. And just as a general reminder, there really are so many questions to explore where our relationship to writing is concerned. I think most of us have asked ourselves these questions, some some type of question along these lines at some point in our writing journey. So this question that we'll be focusing on today primarily, and also others we'll cover in future episodes, should get you started. But I also definitely recommend using these questions and questions like them as jumping off points to ask more questions of yourself, questions that are more tailored to your own specific writing situation and writing life. So how can we start answering this first question? Again, am I equating my writing with my own self-worth? I think one of the best ways to start answering this question is to First of all, just simply observe how we respond to rejection. For whatever reason, some writers seem to have these very thick skins that are either sort of an inherent part of their disposition or that maybe they've developed over the years. Maybe they've worked in a field that requires a certain toughness and resilience in the face of critique and rejection. Theater comes to mind. Over the years, I have worked with many writers who have also had crossover into the theater world, whether as screenplay writers, script writers, actors, whatever it may be. 
So theater definitely comes to mind, as does any professional field that requires a certain climbing of the corporate ladder and or working on tight deadlines. Those are just a few examples. I know there are many more out there, but but some professions do really lend themselves to the development of a thick skin where critique and rejection are concerned. And when I work with those writers, I commonly find myself really admiring that toughness. And I do think they have, they are at a certain advantage in that way. Because other writers, for whatever reason, don't have that same toughness. Perhaps they're simply young and haven't had time to develop a a sort of a resilience and thick skin in school or in a professional setting yet. That's pretty common. Or perhaps being more sensitive, it's just an intrinsic part of who they are as people, regardless of their age, regardless of their work experience. There really are all sorts of reasons why certain writers don't have what would be considered a thick skin and who tend to, in my experience, take critique and rejection or perceived rejection, especially personally. They really tend to take it to heart. And frankly, many writers struggle with rejection, not just those with what could be considered thinner skin. I do think, though, that having a thicker skin can enable us to bounce back from rejection, even if we still experience that rejection as an unpleasant occurrence. I really don't know too many people who would say, oh, rejection's great. I love it. I do know people who would say, rejection is useful. I have learned to learn from it, which we will talk about later in this episode. But I think it's a pretty universal truism that rejection ain't fun. So getting back to the question, once you've figured out where you more or less lie on this skin thickness spectrum, we can call it, and especially if you find yourself on the thinner end of the spectrum, I suggest doing a few things. First of all, research. This is really straightforward and pretty easy. Basically, get online and start diving into articles, videos, and any other resources that focus on how to take real or perceived rejection less personally. I just did this while typing up notes for this episode, and a really quick search yielded many results from solid sources, sources that I knew that I've I've read many times over the years and other ones that were well-known news sources and psychology sources. There is a lot of information out there on this topic, not necessarily for writers, but again, it's a universal thing that writers tend to get very well acquainted with, especially if we are trying to put our work out there for publication. Getting to know ourselves in this area can be very helpful, not only in dealing with past and current rejections, that we may have experienced or may be likely to experience in the writing world, but also in hedging against future ones. So if we know that it's going to be particularly tough to receive a no from a literary outlet we have our hearts set on, for example, we can start becoming our own sort of cheerleader while waiting to hear back from that outlet. Maybe it's a contest that we've entered Uh, a literary magazine we've sent a short story to, an agent we've queried, whatever the case may be. If we know that there is at least a chance we're going to be hearing a no, and we're not going to like it, we can 
prepare ourselves for that. And I think research can be so key in doing that. In addition, when we start thinking along these lines, we can enlist friends, family members, writing group colleagues, different people we may have in our lives to help us keep a healthy perspective during this time. It might take some effort to reach out to these people, but it tends to be worth it in my experience when it comes to breaking the habit of what I call personalizing rejection rather than seeing it as something that happens outside of us and that is really not a reflection of who we are. This sounds pretty basic, this concept. I'll say it again. Breaking the habit of personalizing rejection rather than seeing it as something that happens outside of us and that is not a reflection of who we are. Pretty basic concept. It's easy to get it into our heads. It can be a little tougher to get it into our our hearts, our guts, when we are really feeling the impact of rejection as writers. I think also it's really important to remember that any rejection our writing receives might not be an actual reflection of the work. I touch on this a little bit in episode four, but what I want to reiterate here is it's really important to remember that any person who's reading our work, whether it's a friend, a beta reader, someone in our writing group, an agent, an editor, their opinion is just that. It's the opinion of one person on one day. And frankly, if the writing isn't their cup of tea, it's really no big deal. It might feel like a big deal in the moment. It might feel devastating because this person is the expert or the dream agent or the dream editor. But we need to keep coming back to the bigger picture and realize that we have an option to kind of shrug and say, okay, wasn't for them. That stings but I'm going to get up and I'm going to dust myself off. So that said, I think this is a good place to insert a caveat that I I really do think is important for writers to also keep in mind. I mention this to composition students, to MFA students, to anyone who will listen. And one of the reasons I do that is because it's a good reminder for myself as well. When we're sending out work or handing our work to to people to read. If more than one person comments on a similar issue with the writing, I believe it's a very good idea to go back and have another look at that issue. So if two or more readers mention, let's say, a lack of character development, for example, or they seem to not understand a character's motivation for making a big decision in a story, if more than one person notes that in their feedback, there's a good chance we need to work on that issue further. Again, that's a caveat. And I'm not saying when we receive a rejection in our writing to just walk away and say, okay, whatever, moving on. I think it is important to move on, but also take into account one thing that many people who query agents start to understand before too long is often there's a pattern with feedback. When we start receiving feedback, sometimes there's not a lot of feedback in those in those first rejections. But ultimately, if we keep at it, we will often start to see a pattern where agents are are maybe writing a sentence or two, giving us a reason why the story didn't quite work for them, for example. 
And those can be really, really important tidbits that we can use for growth. And again, more about that later. So getting back to the research, after doing some of this research, i.e. how to take rejection less personally, and you don't have to tailor it to writers. As I said, many of these articles are out there for professionals. So you don't have to necessarily search for writers and rejection, although you can obviously find those articles out there too, videos, etc. After you do that and hopefully gain a better understanding of your own reaction to rejection, I think it's important to also try to lean into it as much as possible, to try to keep submitting work while operating with what's hopefully a new and improved understanding that, again, whatever reception our writing receives, it's not a reflection of who we are as human beings. It's literally one reader's reaction to one writer's work on a single day. That's it. And again, if you're seeing common feedback, if you're seeing a pattern, have another look at that. But if we can get more into that attitude, a very sort of practical, non-emotional, dispassionate attitude toward feedback that is easy to take as negative, is easy to take as a bad thing. If we can change that stance a little bit and see it as an opportunity instead, once we can climb that hill, crest that hill, we're in a very good position to really grow. And from there, we can start to see feedback, even feedback that doesn't end in a yes, as constructive for our writing. We can especially, by the way, learn from feedback that resonates with us and that rings true, even if it's still a little hard to see that at first. Many times I've received feedback on my own work that initially might have caused me to be a bit taken aback and that maybe even frankly hurt my feelings a bit. This I found to be especially true when I was an undergraduate in writing workshops and that, those were years when my dreams of becoming a quote-unquote real writer, you know, in all caps, were very strong. But my actual experience putting my writing out there for others to read was quite minimal. So I had this dichotomy going on. And honestly, looking back, I can see quite clearly that I had pretty thin skin. Again, I was a young writer. I was a very idealistic writer. I had big dreams for my writing. And none of those things are bad. But they weren't yet tempered by some reality and by an understanding that feedback is great. Doesn't mean it's always comfortable, but it's great. So my feelings would tend to get hurt if the writing wasn't received in ways that I sort of imagined it would be. By the time I got to graduate school, a couple years later, I was actually starting to figure out that I needed to toughen up a little bit. And that if I respected the skill level of the people critiquing my work, which I almost without fail did, that I would listen to what they had to say, even when it stung a little bit initially. And I say initially because typically the sting would quickly dissipate. I'd go back and look at those comments, let's say a few days later or a week later, and I wouldn't feel that emotional reaction to them. I'd be able to look at them with some distance and objectivity, and I'd be able to think, you know, 
they actually have a point. This is this is a good point. And this person in my workshop isn't the only person who brought that up. So I need to maybe get over myself a little bit and have another look at that and maybe dive into a revision of this piece. And almost without fail, doing that, the willingness to do that, and then the follow through and actually doing it would improve that piece of writing. I think workshops in general give us potentially so much opportunity to practice this particular skill of learning to receive feedback and then learning to maybe put it away for a few days, revisit it from a less charged place, and then start to sift through it and realize which feedback is going to be helpful, which feedback we're going to, meh, we're just we're not going to apply because it just we don't we don't agree and ultimately the piece is ours or whatever. This is why I am a fan of organized creative writing programs whether in an academic setting or not. You can find them online, you can find them in universities, you can find them in community colleges and just in your local community. I'm a huge fan because again, it's it's ground on which we can practice that communication, that conversation with readers, and how to get more effective at it. By the time I started to get serious about finding an agent, even though I had gotten pretty good about taking critique, taking feedback, and eventually, if not immediately, using it to improve the writing, once I set out on that agent path, I did get this sinking feeling where I realized, you know, I think more rejection is probably going to start coming my way once I start sending out these query letters. And I was not wrong. And even though I had gotten pretty used to, again, those critiques in those workshops, I'm not going to lie. Those first several agent rejections stung. And really, it's no wonder. The querying process, as writers who have been through it know, tends to be a fraught process that entails high hopes, a lot of work, long waits, waiting to hear back from agents, uh, waiting to know, am I going to get representation or not, and potentially crushing rejection. I think this is especially true when it comes to querying what we consider to be our dream agents. Those folks who we know we would really, really love to work with to get our manuscripts out into the world. So a quick note here, for anyone who might not know what a query letter is, it's basically a cold call that a writer makes to a literary agent. And of course, literary agents are the go-betweens between a writer and a publisher, an editor at a publishing house who will hopefully buy a project and then have it published. So a query letter is a letter, often email these days, obviously, that contains typically an introduction to the manuscript in question, comp titles, a bio, and other information that will hopefully be interesting enough to cause the agent receiving the letter to request sample pages of the manuscript, or maybe even the entire manuscript. By the way, I plan to address the topic of literary agents and what they do and what it's like to work with them in a future episode. But for now, just know that they are essentially mm, important links in the publishing chain is probably a good way to put it. As you might imagine, literary agents receive tons and tons of query letters. 
And honestly, they offer representation to relatively few authors. Like all people, literary agents have limited amounts of time, so they do tend to be quite choosy about taking on clients. This means that it is not at all uncommon for writers in what I have come to call the querying trenches to receive rejections, often many rejections. This was definitely the case for me when I was first querying agents, and it was the case for most now published authors I know. We all look back and have tales from our time in the trenches. It can be rough. So knowing that, what can writers facing this specific type of rejection do? Well, to put it simply, they have choices to make. They can keep querying other agents, or they can stop querying altogether, or maybe just for the time being. Getting back to the principle of taking another look at issues multiple readers have flagged, I don't think it's at all a bad idea to hit the pause button from time to time during the querying process, especially if you're getting similar feedback about the query letter or about the sample pages from more than one agent. So you might hear things like, the genre you're intending this manuscript for really isn't clear. Is it YA? Is it literary adult fiction? Is it commercial fiction? So the genre or I should, or the genre or category might not be clear. In other words, the agent might not know where does this fit on the shelf, for example, in a bookstore? How will I market this? Or you might hear something like, well, I'm not, I'm not feeling like the stakes are high enough to create a compelling narrative that I'm going to be able to sell. Because remember, an agent's job, just like a real estate agent, is to sell the project, the property in question, we can call it. So in that case, if you're getting that kind of feedback, again, you can decide, am I going to get my feelings hurt here and stop querying altogether? You have probably figured out that I do not advise any serious writers who are querying to do this. But again, it's a choice you can make. You can also decide to keep querying other agents, despite the fact that you're already starting to see a pattern in that feedback. Again, as you've probably figured out, this is not something I recommend. You can at least hit the pause button, review the common comments you're getting, and think about how you can up your game. Or you can decide to revise and requery at a later date, which again, this is sort of what I just described. It's something I definitely recommend in this particular scenario. This last one is a good example of A, not taking the rejection so personally that you stop writing altogether, and B, actually using that rejection to empower yourself, to take your skill to a higher level. That, in my very strong opinion, is a win-win. Choosing to use rejection as a learning experience to find our writing groove has, I think, no downsides whatsoever. But it does entail a conscious choice on a writer's part to sort of alchemize a negative experience into something positive. As I've said, there are many points along the way of finding our groove and creating a writing life where decisions need to be made. I've really outlined just a few of them here. It's just the tip of the iceberg of the kinds of choices writers are so often faced with. But in future episodes, I'm hoping to talk more about other types of decisions that serious writers commonly need to deal with. So 
That brings us to the end for now. I hope the information in this episode has been useful, and I'd really love to hear from you about how you've learned to deal with rejection, what sorts of decisions you've had to make to help you get back on that horse, metaphorically speaking, of course, after a fall, unless you are actually a horse person in which I would love to hear that story as well. Look for the next episode soon, and thanks for being here. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Groovy Rider Podcast. You can connect with the podcast on my website at nicolemcinnis.com and on Instagram at thegroovywriter. The intro and outro music is Retro by Wayne Jones. Until next time, ride on, Groovy Riders. Ride on. <laughs>